Hi everyone, it's Brent Adamson, and welcome to the Gartner Sales Podcast, the podcast where I sit down with our best thinkers, researchers, and leaders from across the company to share with you both the practical tips and the most up-to-date strategic insights that you'll need to sell more effectively, especially in a time of deep uncertainty like today. Now, today I'm especially excited to be joined by my friend and colleague, Dave Egloff, a VP on our analyst team. And today, Dave, we'll be talking about a note that you have recently published with our colleague, Steve Reberg, titled Reconstruct Sales Territory Designs in Response to Market Disruption. Dave, I can't imagine what possible market disruptions you might be talking about. But one way or another, territory design is always really important, or redesign, I suppose, in this case. But um, this is an especially interesting time to think about territory design, isn't it? It really is. So first, thanks for having me on. Uh, it's an honor to always spend time with you. But you're right. I mean, territory design, the conventional wisdom is to always revisit your territory design from time to time. But, you know, there's a lot of other like prompts on why you would want to revisit territory designs so or things like, has your sales force size changed? Or has your go-to-market or commercial strategy changed? Or sales execution or buying habits. Anyway, all of these things are good reasons to to uh, revisit the topic and, and maybe break away from what you thought you used to know, or at least uh, the conventional wisdom that you thought was right. Some of those things are changing. Well, let me ask you this, Dave. Actually, a quick question for you before we even get into like today, just in general. So let's <laughs> roll tape back to I don't know, February, January, maybe a year ago, just in general, when there's not a global quarantine in effect, um, how often should one think about, you know, is, is territory design or redesign something you want to visit annually, quarterly, uh, like actually, no, that's way too often, once every five years. Give us a sense for that. And then we could talk a little bit about what's going on right now. You know, everything's interconnected. So I would say that uh, organizations don't revisit some very big topics like segmentation or org design, like big shifts like that tend not to occur very often. But account tiering, like the, you know, do you want to support an account or a customer through key account, field account, or inside account, uh, that in territory design, um, typically there, there are some incremental changes, I would say on an annualized basis. And sometimes there will be a more deep reset um, every other year. So, David, in kind of framing up some of these changes, you know, the things that are different, things are the same. In in, in your notes uh, is uh, at the top level, you provide some recommendations. There's sort of three dimensions I thought we could walk through today. So the first dimension is responding to changes in market opportunity and buyer preferences. And there's a lot of that going on right now that is specific to COVID and to your early point, irrespective of COVID. So let's talk a little bit about that. And then we can get into recommendation number two, which is more if if, the, if recommendation one is the external or market-facing recommendation. So uh, the, the second one is the internal one. So how do I make sure that my my territory design or redesign is aligned with internal uh, processes, internal priorities. And then the third of the three recommendations is all around execution. So why don't we take them one at a time and let's start with making sure that you've adapted or you are adapting your territory design to buying behavior changes. And there's a lot of buying behavior changes that are that are going on uh, right now. Um, I've got a couple of lists down, but maybe what's that, what kind of jumps out for you, Dave, at the top of your mind as you think about this, you know, aligning territory design to the market and how it's changing? What's at the top of mind for you? Yeah, so um, what's interesting is before this whole thing occurred, there were some um, early signs of, of things that are changing, right? So you had a lot of commercial organizations invest in digital transformation, both digital on the front of the house uh, as well as the back of the house. And then, you know, you also had um, 
some uh, you know, disruption with COVID-19 where sellers just can't really travel right now. And there is this, this spawn of everyone's talking about virtual selling or virtual sales execution. And you start to pull these things together and you realize, you know, buying is changing, sales execution is going to change. So when you look at this, um, if, if the way you know, the, the, the buyer and seller engagement is going to shift, um, one, sellers might travel less indefinitely. Um, and I'm not saying that sellers will never travel, but sellers are likely to, to travel less in the future. And um, obviously there's the, uh, I don't know if it's obvious to everyone, but there, there was this, this onset of, you know, buyers not always uh, wanting, you know, sales reps to be entirely in the sales process. You have a whole you know, population of, of buyers that wanted a rep-free experience. Now, again, I don't know if we're there yet, but if if you're using that as an extent, like to build an, a, an extended argument, if buyers are desiring more rep-free engagements, um, they can probably do fine with virtual interactions. Now, What's the cascade of that? We we talked before about how you know the old the old conventional wisdom for territory design was to to geolocate to reduce travel. Well, the more you lean on virtual selling, well, that means that maybe territories can be optimized away from something anything other than you know geography. And maybe if territories were designed in a way based on a capacity where uh, say an account manager can handle fifty accounts, well. If they're traveling less, maybe they can handle 70 accounts. So now you're changing both an influence into territory design and the size because of how you know buying and selling is going to happen. So there's a lot of disruption there. That's going to impact things like account tiering, territory design size, and whatnot. In fact, you know, one of the, the points you make in this note I think is really interesting. It's it's you know, it's not uncommon to hear this in financial statements, but you make the point of past performance is no longer predictive of future uh, likelihood of success, right? So, which is, I think, a point well taken in a, in a world that is changing as dynamically and rapidly as today's world, again, partly driven by COVID uh, and quarantine and economic disruption, and partly irrespective of it, just because of customers' um, ongoing changes and move towards digital buying, for example. Um, that I would imagine, so, w- w- first of all, what I see there is opportunity. What you just laid out, is like, I'm saying like, wow, I could save so much more money. I got fewer reps doing more work. There's an efficiency play here. Um, I don't know if that ultimately plays out that way, but but it does beg a higher order question, which is, well, if I can't use past performance and past strategies and past numbers and past capacity models and, and territory alignment plans, um, at least not, it's not that you're suggesting, I imagine, throw them out the window, but look at them at least with a certain amount of suspicion, right? So, so what, what can I rely on? Is, is everything up for grabs in this new world? If I can't use past performance to predict the future, what do I look at to, to make these decisions? Well, you know, it, uh, again, this might vary from organization to organization or industry to industry, but, you know, we see, um, talking about an opportunity, we see a lot of very progressive organizations using things like diagnostic analytics to figure out what's working and what's not working. And by the way, the, the evolution here is a lot of, you know, nearly all of our clients are using descriptive metrics, like who did what when, um, but really progressive organizations are using diagnostic me- uh, measures. So what territory signs are working or what's working in terms of account tiering, but then also predictive and prescriptive metrics. So you could start to figure out uh, early sensing of demand. Where might you need to impact your coverage ratio? Where might you want to put more sellers or less sellers? What sellers might be digital first? So, um, you know, uh, a seller could have greater coverage because a lot of the buyers in their territory might be leaning more on 
self-study digital strategies or something else. So um, in every organization, it's slightly different. The, the good news here is it's not just the simple, you know, ring fencing based on geography. So I think, you know, every organization has the ability to be a little bit more, uh, you know, holistic. I know that seems like a weird word here, but, but absolutely it's, you can take a more comprehensive approach. You know, you're, I think you're a glass half full kind of guy. Maybe I'm a glass half empty kind of guy because it sounds like, oh, it just got really confusing, right? And so because another point you make, which is, and I'm, I'm not criticized, but it's just this reality, right? Your point about holistic is like, great. What does that mean? Because now I got to think about things like, well, you make the point, which is a great one, which is, and you've kind of made it here already, which is the number of accounts a rep has traditionally supported typically is a good proxy for their future capacity. But that may no longer be the case to the degree that, you know, the number of accounts you typically supported in the past was all done on airplanes and in person and going forward, it's all done virtually. Um, your my, my capacity modeling is now out the window too. And so I, uh, the proximity point that you made is like, yeah, I used to, if I wanted to serve a customer in Florida, um, or in Germany, then I'd have a sales rep in Florida or in Germany, or at least close by because it would reduce the cost. Now I can kind of put them anywhere because it's happening virtually. And I just have to make sure cultures and languages align, I guess. Right. So, so I, I feel, I'm feeling kind of adrift here, Dave. I don't know. I was, I feel it a little, I'm getting, my skin's starting to get a little, I'm breaking out in a sweat. It's like, so how, so I, I love the idea of predictive models, but, and, and looking at data, I think that's going to be our savior here in many ways, but but I got to imagine that's going to have to be real time or not real or, or frequently. This is something you're going to have to revisit pretty frequently. If not, you mentioned before annually in the old world, this is a quarterly, maybe monthly only because, um, because things are changing so fast, but it's not like I can reassign reps every quarter to new customers. That's going to be a complete disaster. So there's a, there's a real tension I've got to navigate here. I imagine. Yeah, no, there is, but you know, again, let's, let's, Make sure we look at the glass half, half full here, because you know, this does provide a great opportunity for you to have a bit of a reboot, a bit of a reset. Now, we talk to a lot of clients about account tiering, and account tiering, like I said, been, like I early, you know, mentioned earlier, is the you know, what sales channel is going to support it. Um, of course, your direct sales channels, it's inside field or in account. We see a lot of sales leaders investing. In, in inside sales channels, right? Which again is the opportunity for more cost-effective sales execution. And what we see with field accounts is um, there's a lot of accounts, there's a lot of customers in, in the field that are probably over, over-tiered. And, and I don't wanna say you need to fire some of these customers, but you probably need to demote them. Um, which means, you know, you're going to pull some into inside sales, all right? Which means you're going to have a, a different landscape of, of field accounts. And now when you look at it in terms of not having to maximize uh, or not, not having to minimize or the, the travel time, um, it's an opportunity for more cost-effective execution. You know, it strikes me, is not surprisingly, and uh, you know, one of the key priorities of sales leaders at this time, of course, and particularly in um, the first two quarters of the year, is around cost savings, right? This is what you think the March through June. Um, and it's interesting talking to heads of sales, the way that they typically, as most parts of the organization would, denominate that cost savings, at least in sales, I guess, is terms of headcount. Uh, it's like, how many reps do I need? And what's interesting is the way you're suggesting we think about this actually makes a lot of sense, which is um, rather than starting with number of sellers, let's start with a capacity of sellers. Let's start with sort of the customer side, like what kind of support does this particular customer actually need? Uh, and you start thinking about virtual versus in-person I might be able to get to a place where I'm denominating things in terms of resources uh, or time or tiering 
first and then headcount second, as opposed to, it's not like just, you know, a furlough, whether it's furloughs or removing or shifting 10% of my people, um, the better way to look at it is what do my customers actually need and that, and let that drive as opposed to just 10% off the top in terms of just number of people it's a, and work back to that number, I think is a, is a better way to think about it. Is that fair? Yeah, no, it's exactly right. I mean, there's, there's a couple of parallel tasks happening, right? So one is, it's the, you know, we talk about account tiering and segmentation. So the goal is to come up with these tiered customer segments. And we can talk about that another time. But each one of those tiered customer segments has a demand on the sales force, right? It has a demand on, you know, what what are the, the, the buying jobs to be done? How do you support them? So um, once you start to think about the tiered customer segments and the demands of those customers and buyers, then you can think about, okay, what sales roles, what sellers am I going to align to those two customer segments? What do they have the capacity to do? So a high, uh, you know, a high, highly tiered, high demanding customer is going to demand more. Of course, you invest into that customer because you hope that the revenue size is going to be large, the growth rate is going to be good. Um, so, you know, as you're trying to figure out the market or customer needs, you're thinking about, the role and the design of the seller, then you can start to marry things like, okay, what's the capacity? Now, how many sellers do I need to satisfy that market? And then how do I do a territory design, um, you know, working in good orchestration with everything else um, where I can put my sellers in a position to be successful? Dave, one of the things I find really interesting, so again, the the, the, the note is reconstruct sales territory designs in response to market disruptions available on Gartner.com for our clients. And then that uh, you mentioned that the cogs, and you've done this really nice job of putting together a graphic that that captures all of those cogs and the way that territory design fits into the broader machine of of the organization and strategic thinking slash rethinking. One of the things, though, Dave, I think it's really interesting that caught my eye, and it makes a ton of sense, is that in this note, you spend a, a decent amount of time talking about rewards and recognition and, and the word fairness, which was, um, and all of that is tied to compensation, among other things. And especially now when things are so up for grabs, can you tell me a little bit more about how you're thinking about this? Maybe we'll start with this word fairness and what you have in mind when you put the word fairness on the table as a primary thing to be uh, to be thinking about, particularly in a time like this. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, so so fairness feels a little uh, soft and uh, qualitative, but I'm going to give you some numbers because I think they're important, right? Um, when when sellers view their compensation and their uh, opportunity to be fair. Um, Gartner Analytics, Gartner surveys basically show that um, discretionary effort goes up 60%, and that translates to about a 20% increase in performance. So while, you know, do my sellers feel like it's fair may, may sound, uh, you know, again, not like the, a hard metric. There are some real important results that can, that can come out of your interpretation of being fair. And just to be clear, fairness here, it doesn't necessarily mean equal, right? So in other words, it's not that I feel I have to get paid the same as you get paid, but rather I got to feel that there's a system that is understandable, knowable, public, I suppose, and that we're both being uh, compensated and rewarded in a way that is consistent with that system, which we've all bought into. Is it, did, I, did I get that right? Is that how we think about fairness? That's, that's exactly right. When I was a practitioner, we'd ask sellers on their way out, why did you leave? And almost always the, the, the most common answer is, well, I had a better opportunity. Um, they need to see a compensation plan that has a balance between the level of accountability, in other words, the underperformance risk versus the upside potential. And none of, none of the compensation plans work if the territory itself is designed poorly or the quotas are set too highly. So again, 
there's a couple of dynamics here, but it's it's not paid for equal, you know, for equal uh, equal effort. This is for you know just the general fairness. All right. So now let me ask you this: What about so specific to this note, which is in response to market disruption? So in these disruptive times where things are so uncertain, it's unclear how things are going to go. I gotta think that's gonna make this fairness question tougher to 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 address, or 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 not. Is I mean, do you, do you think of fairness? Should one think of fairness and and communicating fairness differently because things are so kind of up in the air right now, or or not? So you know, we're we're gonna delve a little bit outside of territory design, but we have a bunch of clients that come to us and say we need to, as a sales leader, we need to communicate some difficult. Uh, difficult messages, right? So, so sellers are clamoring for quota relief, and honestly, in you know, most of the time, quota relief is is a really uh, a high risk endeavor because you really have to good have to have to have a good hypothesis on on the recovery, uh, and quota reductions can really backfire. So, um, there's a lot of things that you can do to give sellers earnings opportunity, and that's really what they're looking for. So, um, it's it's hard because it, it's um, you know, we're all in this together. And I think, you know, especially from an executive team, there, there has to be just an awareness of, you know, who's paying the brunt of this uncertainty. And I think that, you know, unfortunately, a lot of organizations are in it with their sellers. Um, and I know that feels unfortunate, but from an interpretation of fairness, it actually keeps a balanced equation. It's not like organizations are doing remarkably well and sellers are starving. Um, and I think that's, that's part of that, that, uh, that interpretation. I mean, and to your point, which is supposed to focus on the the design principles, the mechanics, the 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 machinations, the principles, the rules, the deployment, the resource allocation, the the, the mechanics of territory design, but we can't overlook the communication plan that goes with the the territory redesign to make sure that. Uh, and this is where sometimes I think we we spend a little less time thinking about these things. It's like, how are we going to? communicate this out to the world. In fact, this goes to your third challenge, which uh, I, here's how I wrote it down. I don't know if it's exactly how you articulate it to me originally, which I do like, which is how do you execute the shift without ticking off everyone, <laughs> right? So whether right. it's customers, whether it's reps, whether it's stakeholders. So how how do you do that, Dave? How do you, how do you say this is a potentially massive change? I mean, my territory is changing, giving me new customers. You're taking away my better customers. You're making me do it in places and maybe even with with uh, uh, customer verticals or industry verticals I've never sold them before. If I'm the customer, it's like, I, ha- I thought I had that rep. Now you're giving me another a new account manager for the third time in the last X number of months. Uh, you know, stakeholders internally, you got to coordinate with new people to get the same account. It's like this, I mean, we all been there. We've all done this. We've been on both sides as customers and as sellers uh, on all of this. So I, I don't mean to belabor the point, but but this is this is a perennial problem. But right now in this time is so. Let me ask you this: in the time of disruption, does everyone get a forgiveness card? Is like, yeah, you know, things are tough. I totally get it. And so actually, this goes away as a problem because everyone just understands. Or is it actually even more acute because everything else is changing? You could at least keep me stable on this. I don't know. So, what is principle number three? How do you execute all this shift, Dave, without just ticking everybody off? Thoughts? So, so the answer is yes and yes. You probably get a little bit of a free pass, but you also have to manage this, right? So, we're not talking about the procedural side of it because every organization has slightly different systems. But you're you're 100 right in that um, you know any change, even change for the right reasons, even change for something as uh, you know pleasant to hear as cost-effective sales execution. That sounds like a nice thing to to change toward. Um, you, you you have to manage your risk. And the risk is, you know, let's just call it sellers and buyers for right now because there's a lot of stakeholders there. But let's just look at sellers and buyers and let's think about um, 
let's you know, imagine from their shoes, right? Let's have some empathy, right? So buyers, from a buyer's perspective, you know, someone sold them into the account. And from a buyer's perspective, I've educated my sales rep on how I need to get funding and who the important people are and you know what's top of mind, what are my mission critical priorities. As a buyer, I don't want to have to retrain another seller. Like I built up a relationship. So um the, the buyer needs to be assured that they're not going to have a degradation of service, right? There needs to be a warm intro. So there needs to be some communication, some transparency. There needs to be a, a warm transfer from um, the, the current or legacy sales rep who's leading the, the, the relationship to the new one. Um, and that's important because, again, from a buyer's perspective, they don't want to feel like they've lost anything. They want to be at least feeling cost, you know, net neutral, uh, if not getting something better. Pulling off of that empathy card, sellers, right? So sellers, you'll likely get the question about, um, you know, how is this going to impact their future performance, their you know, earnings potential? Um, give sellers some, some, you know, transparency into what is going on, why it's going on, when it's going on. Um, you want to make sure that if they have opportunities that are in the later stage, that those don't get disrupted. Um, so there's just, a, a you know, again, a, a way to communicate to them and a way to execute, you know, putting, putting their needs and their concerns you know, first and foremost. So, so let me take it all the way back to the beginning. It was really helpful. So, you know, again, the, the, the title of their note, as we call them, Reconstruct Sales Territory Designs in Response to Market Disruption. I'm wondering, Dave, um, let's come full circle back to sort of one of our original questions, which is, could one not just title this, um, this note, Reconstruct Sales, or How to Reconstruct Sales Territory Designs? So I'm wondering, it comes back full circle, this question of is, is everything you're talking about, is, I'm, I'm with you in terms of it's vitally important, it's really helpful, and it's great to put a framework around it. And again, the note goes in some really nice detail and lays this out in sort of a model. It's fantastic. I'm wondering just one last time, though, just how much of this is specific to the time we're in and how much of this is just good hygiene no matter what? Because whether it's three, six, or 12 months from now, hopefully no more than that, but maybe two years from now, we, we will be back in the, whether it's a new normal or there's something that at least isn't dominated by quarantine and COVID. Um, and I'm wondering at that point, is it a, then we're going to go back to something else or is this just the kinds of things we're talking about right now? Just, just smart to do. Yeah. So, it, I mean, it comes down into your, um, a little bit of your belief system. And if you want to, to be quite honest, if you want to turn your head away from the trends, right? So right now, if you believe that we are in this V-shaped recovery and by January, 2021, we're going to be back to normal. Well, then I, I guess you could go back to this, you know, just, just revisit your sales, your territory design like you do every year, but you're really going to ignore the, the early indicators that your brewers are going to have a, a different preference than they might have had five or ten years ago, and that the digital transformations and the, all the things that you're doing to boost productivity are, are, are not going to impact things like Salesforce capacity. Um, so I think you can do that, but you really have to make a conscious effort to ignore potential indicators that your competition is not ignoring, like buyers want to be engaged differently. You know, and I think that this is one of the things that I think is becoming immediately, maybe it's clear all along, but it's especially powerfully clear to me as we get deeper into this, is that in many ways, this micro disruption is uh, masking to some degree a macro disruption or, a, you know, this micro burst of disruption is is taking is almost distracting to some degree uh, from this broader tectonic shift that is happening underneath, which is this customers move to digital, customers engaging through completely different channels. 
And in many ways, I think that's the not only the bigger story, it is at least over time, the more important story. And so I, I really appreciate what you've done in this note, which is give us a roadmap for thinking about territory design and territory redesign from a customer back perspective. Always, it's just such a great lesson, which is and reminder, start with the customer always. How are they buying? And, and while that seems to some, I'm sure, obvious, when you're in sales operations, perhaps, or you're in this sort of a center of excellence inside the sales organization, you're not the one out there engaging customers every single day. It can be easy to just sort of remember it in principle, but lose sight of it in terms of practical day-to-day reality. And that day-to-day reality is changing very quickly, not just temporarily, but we think uh, over the long haul. So, so uh, uh, any last thoughts, Dave? I just, it's, it's a great note. And I think those, and by the way, the nice thing about it too at the end is um, as always in any Gartner note, you've got a list of recommended reading. And from there, you can just, it goes to a choose your own adventure of just a wide range of materials that you and your colleagues or our colleagues have put together on, um, on, on broader questions, whether it's territory design um, or uh, uh, territory alignment and sales analytics and, and sales model, you know, model uh, modeling sales capacity. And it just, just goes from there. So, um, Dave, thanks so much for joining us. Any last thoughts you'd like to kind of leave us with as we kind of button it up? Uh, so I would love to just promote uh, one other companion note, and that is uh, diagnose under performance and territory design. Because it's, it's my, I agree with everything you said, Brent, about putting the customer first, putting the, the buyer needs and the commercial strategy. Um, and we all operate better when we work uh, together iteratively. One area that sales operations can make a big impact uh, is to deploy diagnostic metrics and predictive analytics to help um, with data-driven decision-making. So uh, there's, a, there's a good good place at the table for, for everyone. Um, and uh, I, I think, again, like I said, we could all do better when we work together. So uh, I'll just give a shout-out to that piece of research. Now. Okay, awesome, Dave. Thank you so much for joining us. It's such great insight. And I think it's such an incredibly important topic anytime, of course, but I think especially now. So again, one more time, the note is Reconstruct Sales Territory Designs in Response to Market Disruption. You'll find that on Gartner.com for our clients. If you're interested in reading the note, if you're interested in talking to Dave and setting up what we call an inquiry with him or our team, we are more than happy to dive into this in more detail for you. For now, though, thank you so much for joining us today on the Gartner Sales Podcast. Uh, I look forward to talking to you guys again soon. And until that time, please, please, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other. Stay safe, everyone. Cheers so much. And, uh, and thank you.